welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hey church, I've got a really important question for you today. Do you own a pair of sweatpants? Some of you might be wearing them right now. I'm going to argue with you that the sweatpant may be the most important or significant piece of clothing going on right now. Now, just a brief um, kind of history of the sweatpant. The irony is, of course, that they used to be worn by like, or they were called track suits or track pants because they were worn by athletes or track athletes who sweat in them, which is why they called them sweatpants. So they, they were used uh, originally kind of by athletes, Olympic athletes, track athletes, But then, of course, you know, Run DMC comes on the scene and brings hip-hop culture and tracksuits together in a marriage that would never be separated. And so, of course, that's all part of the deal. And actually then, you know, another culture, mob culture, John Gotti Jr. in real life, Tony Soprano in fake life, also thought that this would be a good mark of culture for the mob. Um, And, you know, that has continued to evolve to now Jerry Lorenzo will sell you a fear of God, sweet pair of tracksuits pants for just an easy $800. (laughs) That is the history of the track pants. And of course, there are others who have made comfortable clothing like this very popular. Sancho, when you are a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants in your room. It's for fun. Don't worry, I won't tell nobody. (laughs) Sometimes you just have to wear stretchy pants. Hey, no judgment. Now, As I said, the irony is that today, I never wore sweatpants growing up. I thought they were weird. Now, my favorite piece of clothing is the $20 sweatpants I got from Costco. And here's what I noticed about myself and probably most of you. We wear sweatpants now when we don't want to do something, right? You used to wear them when you were going to be active. Now we wear them when we don't want to be active. Like if I put on the sweatpants at the end of the day, that means the day is winding down. That means I'm done doing stuff, right? This is the irony of the sweatpants is they're now symbolic for kind of just sitting around and and inactivity, not activity, not sweat. And can I say this? In the pandemic, this has gone to a whole new level. I mean, for a period of time, like all people saw of you at work or whatever, even in family gatherings, it was like this. So you could wear whatever you want. And I know we joked about not wearing pants, but I know most of you, you wore pants, but you probably wore sweatpants, right? Because it didn't matter because they were comfortable. Like sweatpants became the new everyday workwear and the everyday doing anything elsewhere because we weren't really doing very much and we weren't seeing very many people because we didn't have to we didn't have to dress up we could just wear whatever we want now i know you high school students are like i am dressed up when i wear my sweatpants no judgment but this is really this is a dynamic and i would say that in a sense it isn't just about clothing that we are actually now experiencing what i would call sweatpants syndrome sweatpants syndrome and what i mean is this 
that we have gotten into a place where we were so used to for two years not doing too much and not seeing many people that in a sense, even though life has opened up, even though in many ways we are allowed to interact with other people, we are still in a sense wearing our sweatpants. We are still preferring often to be on our own or to be inactive or to be locked down or a little bit reclusive in some ways. Not everyone, but in many ways, this sweatpants syndrome is affecting all of us. And what I would say is this, we've forgotten how to be together. We've forgotten how to be together. I was reading an article in the Washington Post where a number of researchers are talking to different people about how they have been feeling now that things have been opened up and they, people have been able to go back out. I know the pandemic's not over, but like we aren't having to be at home necessarily anymore. And people said things like, when I went to buy a shirt at Uniqlo in a mall, I felt like an ant in a flood, a massive flood of humanity. I felt so small, I felt, it felt strange. Other people said, one girl said, I don't know when to leave a party anymore. I don't know whether I've overstayed my welcome or when their friends are like, well, okay, we'll tell you when it's time to go. Other people like saying like, I don't, I don't even know how to interact with another person anymore or how I would ask someone out on a date or what do you even talk about? Other people said, oh, it's embarrassing when you don't recognize people because they have their mask on or you don't recognize them because they don't have their mask on or they do. I don't know what to do anymore. There's a lostness of how do I relate in this world? People who said they were extroverts and any kind of party invitation was at the top of their list. Now they're saying no because they don't know how they're going to feel in a large room of people or others. And I even heard this people saying when it's time to go back to church, like, oh no, I got to pick an outfit. Like I can't wear my sweatpants, which you can't. Okay. I'm just saying, but like this thing of like, oh my gosh, I have to get ready. I don't know how. And we've seen, I think if I can make my own observation that we're far more comfortable in front of screens than we are in front of each other. We're, we're far more used to now interacting or just looking at a screen than we are looking at another person in the eye. In fact, studies done years ago, even with kids ages 9, 10, and 11, um, who w went to, one group of kids went to a camp where they weren't allowed to use any uh, devices, whatever, for a period of time, just four to six weeks, and another, the control group, were, were allowed to. The difference they noticed was the group that had been off screens for a while was better at picking up nonverbal cues. And so if we had a problem and sc with screen boundaries before, all of us, whatever age, oh man, after the pandemic, do we ever have an issue? I think we have forgotten how to interact, forgotten how to listen, forgotten how to ask questions, forgotten how to be with one another. Now, why are we talking about this at church? Why does this matter? Why are we talking about this in the context of a faith gathering? Because this is far more important than just, you know, learning how to interact at a work function or maybe asking someone out on a date or being back in school. This is far more significant than, hey, isn't it better to be uh, together again than on our own? This is far more important than even about being in-person church. There is something that the people of God cannot afford to forget that maybe after a couple of years of this and living in sweatpants syndrome, we may be in danger of forgetting. That is so important as to what it means as to who we are as the people of God, that our friends and our family and our neighbors and our classmates and our colleagues desperately need us for their own sake to remember. And it's this, that the people of God from the beginning have been defined by presence. Presence. Now some of you are like, oh, you're talking about like being fully present, mindfulness, all of that. It's all good. I'm not, it's not what I'm talking about. Oh, you're talking about being back in person church instead of being online church. No, not talking about that. 
I'm talking about the fact that the very core of our faith as Jesus followers is that God himself chose to be present physically, flesh and blood in the world as his way of saving the world. And then that we as the people of God are defined by our presence in the world. The story we're going to look at today actually explains to us, perhaps for some of you, the first time that you even realize, oh, that's what presence has to do with our faith. And maybe if you're new to faith or you're still exploring it, um, this will actually help you understand what do we talk about when we mean having faith or what does it mean to be a Jesus follower? And some of us may have rem- known it, but we've forgotten it. Two years of wearing our sweatpants has, you know, we've got pandemic brain. We've forgotten what this actually means and why it's so important and what it means for us to be the people of God as presence. The story we're going to read in a moment takes place in about 33 AD, a couple of months after Jesus Um, who the followers had seen, his followers had seen him die, get killed and buried, uh, crucified by Rome. Nobody survives that. Died, buried. And then three days later, they were having dinner with him. (laughs) And so they were going around everywhere telling everyone, this is, Jesus is, this is what he did. He died and he rose again. And Jesus has since, after uh, hanging around for a little while, disappeared. He's gone into heaven. He's no longer with them in the flesh. But they are now this small gathering of a few hundred people who were eyewitnesses to the resurrection, starting to meet together regularly to talk about everything Jesus said, to pray to God the way Jesus taught them to pray, to tell everyone they could meet about Jesus who had died and was raised to life. And this group of followers are now hanging out together in Jerusalem, the very city where Jesus was tried and executed and was raised to life. And so here they are meeting, and a couple of the followers of Jesus, Peter and John, who were kind of in his inner circle, circle are on their way to the temple. And there's a guy at the temple who the writer of um, the book of Acts says was there every day because he could not walk. From the time he was born, he was not able to walk. And so his family would carry him there essentially to beg, to somehow make enough money for the family because he was uh, a cripple and he couldn't work and he couldn't really make money either way. So they brought him there to beg every day. And so he probably would have been part of the temple woodwork in a sense. Sadly, people would have eventually tuned him out and just walked past him. Some might have given him money, but mostly not. Peter and John walk by him and he asks for money and they look at him and they say to him, hey, look at us. And they say, well, we don't have money, but we'll give you what we do have. We'll come back to that later. That's a significant phrase. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk or get up and they grab his hand and they lift him to his feet and this guy who had never been able to walk can walk and he goes running through the town i mean this was his best day in church he's running through the temple you can imagine him going let's go right like running jumping all over the place everyone notices him like isn't this the guy who couldn't walk who's by the temple every day and people are going crazy and it's incredible things so many people are celebrating so many people are actually believing in jesus but not everyone was happy The religious leaders who had tried and executed Jesus were not happy that a bunch of his followers were now going around everywhere telling people that he was now alive again and starting to do them some of the things that he had done when he was alive. And so they arrest Peter and John. They don't know what to do with them. They did throw them in prison and keep them there overnight. And the next day they gather together with Peter and John to try to figure out what to do. Now, you would be wondering, why didn't we read that one? Why did you shorthand that? Because while it was the best day in the world for that guy's life who got healed, the most important part of that story is the conversation that comes after. 
that was a defining moment for that group of Jesus followers and is actually a defining, or if I can say this, a redefining moment for us as the church today. So let's listen. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed." Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So here's Peter and John. They've done this incredible miracle of healing this man who couldn't walk. Everybody saw it very public. They're thrown in prison. They're brought in front of the same, the words there in the text describe the kind of the collective ruling religious body there. And think not just religion, but in in those days, sort of religion, the political establishment, the cultural establishment, everything was kind of held by the religious leaders. The same people who had um, tried, arrested, tried, and executed Jesus. And they bring Peter and John in and say, you need to give us an explanation. How did you do this? How did you do this thing? And why did you do this thing? And so they begin to give them an explanation. And they say kind of tongue in cheek, okay, you want an explanation for why we did this act of kindness? And, and the guy's standing there with them in the room. So they're like, oh, so you're mad that we did this? Okay, a little jab. Let us explain to you. And they say this, it is by the name of Jesus Christ who you crucified but God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. Hey, remember that guy, Jesus, who you crucified? Well, God raised him from the dead and it is because of him, it is his name that this guy was healed. And that word healed is actually, and then they go on to say, and by the way, nobody else can get healed or saved except by Jesus. And that word healed is the same Greek word as saved. And so they're basically saying, you know that guy, Jesus, that you killed? Well, God raised him from the dead, and now he is healing and saving people. We did this in his name, which was another way of saying, how did this happen? Well, don't look at us. It was Jesus who did it, which is kind of, it's a very interesting uh, response, right? Is that don't look at us. Jesus did it. Jesus is the one who heals. Jesus is the one who saves. It was in the name of Jesus that we pronounced these things. Don't look at us. Jesus did it, which is fascinating because Jesus was no longer with them in person. Jesus was gone. They were there. And the interaction they have with the man who's outside the temple is a very physical flesh and blood personal interaction. 
right? It wasn't like some spirit, in a sense, floated down and rested on this guy, and he was kind of looking up at the clouds. Peter and John, flesh and blood, walk by him. They look at him. They even say, hey, look at us. They speak to him. They listen to his needs. They say, we will give you what we have. And they grab him by the hand. And what did they have to give him? The name of Jesus. Healing in Jesus' name. The power of Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, even though Jesus wasn't present, they heal. (laughs) Jesus wasn't there, but but his presence was there through them. That's why they say, in the name of Jesus. And when the religious leaders say, hey, how did you do this? Well, Jesus did it. (laughs) It wasn't us It was him. Jesus wasn't there, but he was there. Isn't this amazing? The very things Jesus did when he was walking around flesh and blood just a couple of months earlier, now his followers are doing the same thing in his name. But the most stunning verse, maybe one of the most important verses in all of scripture, comes next where this is how they respond to him. They said, uh, the writer says this, when they, that's all the religious leaders, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were astonished. Now, just for a moment. This does not mean they didn't know who Peter and John were and said, they weren't like, oh, who are these guys? Oh yeah, you're Jesus. They knew exactly who they were. But why are they astonished? (laughs) They're blown away. And these are hostile witnesses, mind you, okay? These are people who killed Jesus. They hated the Jesus movement. They hated Jesus followers. They were wanting, they were arresting them, trying to stop it, trying to stamp out this movement. They are hostile witnesses, and yet they cannot help themselves, the writer says. They were astonished. Why? Because standing before them are unschooled, ordinary men. And that, the, that phrase, those two words together, um, commentators note that that specifically relates to the fact or the idea that they were not trained in religious ways. Like all of these people who were asking these questions were trained, born and bred to be religious leaders, had studied God's word, had been raised as probably sons of rabbis or religious teachers or religious leaders. They were qualified. They knew all of the stuff. They were supposed to be there. And they're looking at these two men both of whom were fishermen in their past, who were not trained, unschooled, ordinary people who had not been, who would not qualify to have any kind of authority or power or religious um, knowledge. (laughs) And they're sitting, sitting there going, these are unschooled, ordinary men. And yet they were astonished because they had a kind of authority and boldness when they spoke. And they had the power to make this guy who had never walked before walk again. And what is their only conclusion? They took note these men had been with Jesus. Oh yeah, this is the explanation. These are unschooled, ordinary men, just like Jesus himself was unschooled and ordinary. And he went around speaking with authority and power and healing and doing miracles. And now they, in his name, are doing the same thing. In other words, ordinary people, extraordinary presence. Ordinary people, extraordinary presence. Friends, this is the history of the church. This is what it means to be the people of God. That we who are unschooled, in a sense, ordinary people, 
in our everyday lives are walking around with the living, breathing, flesh and blood power and life of Jesus in us. We are ordinary people carrying around with us the extraordinary presence of Christ. Do you realize that when you walk in the room, Jesus is in the room? If you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus is in the room when you walk in the room. When we are together as a whole bunch of followers of Jesus, man, is Jesus ever in the room. My friends, I think this is one of the things we have most forgotten because of sweatpants syndrome. It's not that we are maybe inactive in a sense in our lives or whatever. It's that we have shrunk back from our identity and our understanding, right, of what it means to be in the room, the significance of being in the room, of being with other people, that Jesus himself is there and with us together. It makes any room that you and I are in, in church, in home, in our classroom, in our work, in our neighborhood, in the street, the grocery store, holy ground, because Jesus is in the room. Now we're going to pause here for a moment and do something um, that we don't normally do in the middle of our service, but I think we should do more often. When I first became a pastor, the very first thing I did was start the 30-minute party <laughs> after our services, which I thought, okay, if I died, at least that's my lasting contribution to our church. We have a 30-minute party all the time after service. We gather and we're starting to be able to do food again and all those things. But here's what I've noticed, and maybe this is you, maybe this is some of us or whatever, right? When we do it after the service, some of you just like to sneak out. Oh, I got the music and I got the sermon, I'm gone. You, you duck out, you miss the party. Others of you, you just talk to the people you always talk to, the same people you talk to every week. Oh, great, this is a chance to connect with the people that I, that I know already. Or some of us, and maybe all of us, it's very easy to go, oh, how was your week? Oh, did you see the game last night? Oh, lousy weather we're having. What are you doing today? And suddenly our conversations are off somewhere else. In large part, I think, because we are missing the fact that Jesus is in the room. We're not cluing in to the power and presence that is in the room in each one of us and together, ordinary people, extraordinary presence. So here's what I want to do. We're going to take a moment now, actually 15 minutes, as a community to have a little party. And I didn't rob you of your 30-minute party. You can have the, the rest of the 15 minutes later. Okay, well, we're going to have some, a chance to hang out together, but with the understanding that, the, that Jesus is in the room that the power and presence of Christ, the extraordinary power and presence of Christ is present with us ordinary people, all of us hanging out together. And I'm going to give you some questions, and I want you to have a chance to take some time to interact with people you don't know well or maybe you've never met before. Just kind of a little bit out of your comfort zone. We're all going to do this together, so we'll all be out of our comfort zone. And here's some questions I'm going to give you, and they'll be on the screen, but I want to give you some questions to help you, help facilitate some of this conversation to take our conversations to a deeper, richer, more profound level that matches the reality of the fact that Jesus is in the room. So one of the questions, maybe just to start, I'm sorry, can you please tell me your name again? Because <laughs> maybe you've done that before. You're like, oh, I can't remember. Now their mask is off or their mask is on. I don't know who they are. You can just say, can you tell me your name again? We'll give us all permission to do that. Everybody gets a mulligan today, no matter how many times they've introduced you. You could say, can I join you guys, right? You see other people talking or, oh, they're already talking. You can use this every week. Just come to a conversation and say, can I join you guys? And everyone knows, oh, yeah, this is like we're, we're interacting together. And then here's a few questions you could ask. How long have you been a part of this church family? Maybe you're new, or maybe you're just, this is first day, or you, you have a story here. Tell me a little bit about your faith journey. We're all on a faith journey, wherever we happen to be. Some of you may be just exploring today. Some of you are saying, yeah, it's been a long time, or I came from another faith background, or whatever. Tell that story a little bit. What has been the most challenging part of the last couple of years for you? 
Now, this would be a weird question, except we all know what we mean by the last couple of years, right? This is not a weird question at all. We've all been in it together. But what's been the most challenging part of it for you? Maybe some of you say, hey, are you free for dinner in the next couple of weeks, right? These are people you've interacted with, whatever, but it's time to open up our homes again. Actually, next week, we're going to be talking about the importance of the table and, and meal together in our relationships. Maybe it's time to just say, hey, I'm going to actually clean the house. You want to come over? <laughs> Remember I told you, pizza, bag, salad, keep it simple. <laughs> or what do you feel like you need most from your church family these days? These are some questions for you to think about. We're going to kick it off. There'll be a timer there on the screen, but just so you know what's going on, 15 minutes, go ahead, take some time, break the ice. Let's have some conversation with each other.
All right, you can regather, find your seat again. Hopefully some of the conversations you started, you can just kind of keep on going at the second half of our party today. Hopefully you had a chance to meet somebody new, just quickly grab a seat. And let me ask you, how did that feel? Maybe a little awkward, maybe a little contrived, maybe new. Was it energizing? Was it strange? We were encouraged a couple of weeks ago to just embrace the awkward. It's all right. We're all in the same boat. We are actually learning how to do this again. We've been in sweatpants for too long. We've forgotten how to do this. We've also forgotten or maybe never realized that when we are in the room, Jesus is in the room. Ordinary people, extraordinary presence. Friends, it is not our charisma, our talents, our abilities, our education, our beauty, our personality that makes the difference in the room. We are all ordinary people. It is the extraordinary presence of Jesus that is with us. But if we are going to see Jesus do through us the things that he did when he was on the earth, the things that the early church did, the things that are happening in other parts of the world and other churches, if we're going to see that happen here, we need to practice again what it means to be present in the room. How do we practice the presence of Jesus in a sense together? And what does that mean for our everyday lives? There's ways we can actually, we got to practice presence again. Over the next seven weeks, we're in a series of different weeks, different days. We're going to look at how do we do this? What are the practices of presence that can help bring the extraordinary encounter that we can have with Jesus to each other and in your neighborhoods and in your homes and in your schools and in your workplaces on your streets? What does it mean to do that? We have to actually practice that together. And this is so much bigger than, oh, we're back to in-person church. I mean, because presence can happen even when we were on Zoom. It isn't about the medium per se. It is about the extraordinary presence of Jesus showing up in ordinary men and women as we believe that that's who we are made to be. And so I'd invite you to come back to that. And you might ask, well, why would I do this? This is hard. Maybe already what we just did today was hard. It feels awkward. It's going to feel hard, kind of, you know, in a sense, getting out of our sweatpants syndrome. You can still wear your sweatpants because you're going to need them. We're going to actually do some work. We're going to sweat. You can wear them to church. We're going to need to do this. It'll be hard. It'll be hard to re-engage. It'll be hard to take conversations and relationships to a place and a depth that they've never been before. It'll be hard to take steps of faith like that. Why would you do that? Because when Jesus is in the room, when Jesus is in the room, people get healed. When Jesus is in the room, mercy, grace, forgiveness, love are in abundance. They're let loose. When Jesus is in the room, the hungry are fed, the poor are clothed, and the outsiders are welcomed in. When Jesus is in the room, children are valued, acknowledged, listened to, encouraged. Young people can become leaders when Jesus is in the room. That's what he was always doing, was calling people, inviting them to lead, inviting them to follow. When Jesus is in the room, marriages are healed and restored. Families are reconciled. Bodies, minds, and spirits are healed. When Jesus is in the room, ordinary people get to experience his extraordinary presence.